Here on Gadget Lab, we dive deep into the tech universe, tackling questions like, is giving companies access to your genetic material a good idea? And are the latest phone releases really that different than the last ones? We want to help you make informed decisions about what is worth your attention. And here's something that is undeniably worth your time, a digital subscription to Wired. Lucky for you, we are giving Gadget Lab listeners an exclusive discount, 20% off an annual subscription to Wired. Just visit Wired.com and use the promo code GL20 to get 20% off a digital subscription. Use GL20 to get exclusive access to stories on the latest innovations like AI, deepfakes, and VR, as well as today's most talked about people in technology. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Mike. Lauren. When was the last time you used an Alexa gadget? I would say it was a couple of weeks ago with my Sonos. Ah, right. The old Sonos Alexa integration. Yeah. What did you ask it? I asked it to play KCRW, my favorite NPR station. And how did Alexa respond? Uh, it, it gave me exactly what I was asking for, which was kind of shocking. Huh. Well, what if I told you that Alexa is now entering the Gen AI chat? I would say uh, I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> but also it fills me with a lot of questions like um, are hallucinations going to start coming out of my speaker now? I'm sorry. I don't understand your query. Oh, boy. Let me make something up for you, though. <laughs> oh, boy. All right, we should talk about this. Let's do it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired. And I'm Michael Calori. I'm a senior editor at Wired. And we're joined this week by Wired senior writer Will Knight, who is Zooming from Cambridge, Massachusetts. Will, welcome back to the lab. Hello. Thanks for having me back. So, Will, I, I have to pull this one quote from your recent Wired story just to start us off. Rohit Prasad, who leads AI development at Amazon, told you this week, if I ask Alexa how the Red Sox are doing and they have just lost, it will come back with an empathetic tone. Okay, one, Will, this is the most Massachusetts statement ever. <laughs> I'm glad you're our roving reporter on the ground there in the land of Massachusetts people. <laughs> two, it pretty much sums up the major makeover that Alexa is getting. So tell us about this. What happened at Amazon's annual product event earlier this week? Yeah, okay. Um, so they announced that, as you mentioned, Alexa is going to be 
using generative AI, one of these large language models, which we've heard so much about that go into chat GPT. Um, Amazon's been kind of quiet on the, the language model front, um, but it turns out they've been working on putting this into Alexa, which is, as you also say, kind of an obvious step, like um, in a time when we've got chat GPT that can do all these amazing things, having voice assistants that only respond to like one or two commands is kind of lame. So now um, Alexa will try and do much more uh, complex back and forth. Um, and they're trying to build things on top of that, like the the intonation related to the Red Sox, who I have to confess, I don't know if they lost or won. Are you a Red Sox fan? I mean, I legally I am because I'm in Boston, <laughs> I think. You have to be. Fair enough. Uh, no were idea. you a Red Sox fan when you were growing up in the UK? Mm, absolutely not. <laughs> Fair enough. I followed cricket, which is very, I don't want to, let's not get into that. <laughs> So one of the interesting things that uh, I think Amazon showed off this week is that Alexa can now have conversations in a more natural way. Like you mentioned, there's going to be more back and forth with the speaker. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So what, one of the things that language models enable is they give computers this ability to handle conversation language in so, so much more of a sophisticated way. So Alexa can now answer much more complex questions, open-ended questions also engage in a bit of back and forth so you don't have to keep saying Alexa it will know when you've you've half finished a sentence or wait for you um hopefully uh so this is a lot of this is to do with this sort of magic of, of magic with the, the, the advances in language models which just really is a big quantum leap in in the ability of computers to to use language um so yeah the the idea and when they showed all this these demos you know these canned demos of Alexa, coming up with poems and stories and doing quite what seemed like quite impressive conversational, um, well, conversation with people. <laughs> um, and I, the question is like how well that works in re real life. I'm excited for when it's released and we, we have some of the bloopers and weird things that Alexa comes up with. Mike, you brought up a good point earlier, which is that some of these text-based responses we're getting from generative AI apps are very wordy and we don't necessarily want that when we're using our voice to talk to a computer. So I'm wondering, Will, if Amazon said anything about that, how there may be uh, reframing or rephrasing answers yeah. that are generative, but still to make them succinct and, and like do the thing that you're asking it to do. Yeah. So I did. I asked Rohit Prasad about this, and he, he confirmed that they are doing some of the training that comes after building one of these large language models oriented towards this kind of interaction. So when ChatGPT is built, they have all this interaction that tries to, that has people say, this is a good answer, this is a bad answer. Um, and so Amazon is doing its own version of that, but tailored towards whether it's a good answer through a voice speaker. So that will include making sure that answers are more succinct, hopefully. Um, because yeah, I mean, you don't want to have Alexa rambling on for four or five minutes. Mm -hmm. Every, with every answer so it will try try to do it much much more succinctly i mean the great the, the fun thing with generative ai is you can't really predict what it's going to do entirely so there probably will be some instances where alexa goes on for four minutes 
I love how Will has a great sense of adventure. <laughs> the fun thing is we have no idea what this artificial general intelligence is going to do to our humanity. It's super fun. Embrace the chaos. Uh, what is Amazon training these models on? Like how much of this is re reinforcement learning from human feedback from all of the all of the existing queries in their database from us talking to Alexa all the time? Yeah, that that's a, that's a huge part of it, right? That That is um, a, a big part of what they're what they're bringing to this is all the 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 um, training data they will already have from interactions with with people, which they can tailor to, then feeding to a model, try and get it to refine its its answers to be better. Yeah, this is uh, something that listeners may not know. Every time you ask Alexa a question, a recording of you asking that question is held onto by Amazon. Maybe not every time, but you can assume that everything you say to your smart speaker, that your smart speaker responds to, is something that is being stored by Amazon. And you can go into your settings in your Amazon account, and you can see all of those recordings. You can delete all of them if you would not like Amazon to hold onto them and use them to train Alexa to be better. Uh, but if you don't do anything, then you should, you should know, if you don't already, that uh, everything that you say to your smart speaker that it actually responds to is being saved and logged. So, Will, these updates are coming to Alexa everywhere that Alexa lives, which is in smart speakers made by Amazon and other companies that they've partnered with. It's also coming to the devices that Amazon makes that have cameras in them, uh, the smart hubs, uh, the, the smart home screens, the things that can see you when you're talking to Alexa. Um, Amazon's doing some interesting things with the camera to power the interactions. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so they're, so they're using very primitive body language, whether you're looking at the, the camera and seem to be looking, waiting for a response to help guide whether it's going to jump in with an answer or or wait for you to to finish something or or to know that the conversation's finished. Um, and I think it is it is interesting because, you know, um, ChatGPT is really powerful, but it's just a text interface. We, you know, interact with it through text, which is very powerful, but um, there's a huge amount of human interaction which happens through voice as we're doing now or um, face to face over zoom or whatever um, so teaching machines to be better at that is uh, you know important in terms of I guess making these machines smarter and more capable um, you know I think it also raises some really fascinating questions to me um, in terms of whether you can make machines that are more convincing to people more persuasive um, all those sorts of things is what they're sort of just starting to dabble in here. Maybe you can make a machine that's going to, you know, really engage people and keep their attention for a lot of time, or even recommend things that will be, you know, in a very convincing way. Hmm. So, will on the business side, last year layoffs reportedly hit the Amazon Alexa team pretty hard, and now their devices chief, Dave Limp, is on his way out the door, and Microsoft chief product officer Panos Panay is reportedly taking over. Um, how is the Alexa team actually faring? That's a great question. I mean, I based on the the news of the layoffs and and Dave Limp leaving, I would have said there's a big you know this is a shakeup as a part of Amazon maybe not feeling that they were doing as well as as could be expected in this sort of generative AI era. Um, but clearly they've been working on on this stuff. So uh, I don't know. It's, I find it a little difficult to to kind of gauge exactly how how well they're doing. It seems hard to gauge how much Alexa is actually making the company money. Clearly, the research and development around products like this cost a lot of money. And then there are infrastructure costs and obviously talent and things like that. And then the whole idea of Alexa is that eventually 
it has ads, right? Or you are using third-party apps where there's some kind of there's some kind of financial, you know, transaction that's happening. Like you call an Uber from your Alexa or something. But we don't actually know how much money Alexa has made. Correct? Yeah, that's a uh, yeah, that's a great point. I mean, in theory, right? They they sort of were in launching Alexa ten years ago. You know, kind of inventing this new computer interface that was going to change everything. But um, I don't know. In the last several years, it seems like voice interfaces haven't really got haven't changed things massively, or haven't haven't gone any further. So, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a great question, and and I suppose this does offer an opportunity for them to try and you know capture more of the market and and build voice interfaces that are going to have more of people's attention, more opportunities for things like ads and selling products eventually. So our future is not only generative, it's uh, filled with even more ads. <laughs> Maybe also not even ads, just subtle ways that Alexa will mention you, we might be interested in something and then talk us into buying it. Right. All right, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about how generative AI Alexa is going to stand up to some of the other generative assistants that are out there. This podcast is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Each episode features insight you won't find anywhere else from the center of the conversation surrounding emerging technologies like AI. Right now on the podcast, you can hear a special episode where Brad Smith lays out Microsoft's vision for a vibrant marketplace driving the new AI economy. To hear more, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Want a new podcast to look forward to each week? One that's entertaining, informative, and packed with actionable content? Come on, of course you do. Introducing The Jordan Harbinger Show. The Jordan Harbinger Show, which Apple named one of its best of 2018, is aimed at making you a better informed, more critical thinker so you can get a sense of how the world actually works and come to your own conclusions about what's happening, even inside your own brain. Jordan dives into the minds of fascinating people, from athletes, authors, and scientists, to mobsters, spies, and hostage negotiators. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R, B as in boy, I, N as in Nancy, G-E-R, in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. In the tech journalism world, we sometimes refer to this time period as silly season or tech-tember. I don't love that name, but it's true. This is what we say. Because of all the product announcements that companies put out at this time of year, they want to get ahead of the holiday season and make sure they're hitting those ship goals for the fourth quarter of the year. But this year, it might as well be called generative AI season because of all of the new AI tools that tech companies are releasing. Well, we just talked about Amazon Alexa getting infused with generative AI, but Amazon is months behind competitors in terms of releasing this, even if the underlying technology itself isn't necessarily behind. So what advantages do companies like OpenAI, Google, Microsoft, Meta, even Apple have right now over Amazon? Well, OpenAI, Microsoft, Google have a big advantage in that they've very clearly built the biggest models that are out there. We don't know how big the model that and powerful the model Amazon has is. Um, and then those companies also have a lot more training data specifically designed to improving the performance of that model, um, which I don't think Amazon really has a lot of data around 
simple voice interactions. So maybe it has an edge in, in some of that. But when it comes to the raw kind of power of, of these models, I don't think it is likely to be anything like OpenAI or, or, or Google's. I think one advantage Amazon does have is that its interface is almost entirely spoken, right? It's a natural conversation interface. It's not a type something into a box and get a written response. So it does feel like a natural step that what comes next is that all of the chatbots that are text-based are going to start talking. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. I think that's going to be something that everybody will look to do. I mean, the what's most amazing perhaps about ChatGPT in some ways is its ability to mimic human communication even though it's just a it's written form but there's so much communication that involves the way we speak the way we you know body language and those sorts of things so it makes it makes sense to try and expand the capabilities of these chatbots this way that also you know does have the potential to maybe improve the intelligence and I'm, I'm making quote marks of these of these bots if that's measured by how good they are at convincing us that they're intelligent um, which they would do if they if they have you know better ability to sort of mimic human expression and emotion and things like that, and I think that can be also seen as part of this. What I think is going to we're going to see is more kind of multimodal um, AI in that like use of imagery, use of audio, video. They've fed these models all the text there is on the internet. So what they're probably going to do next is feed them all of the YouTube and all of the audio we can find. Those sorts of things. Um, and it's an, it's an interesting kind of question whether you need that, like the way that biological intelligence often uses a lot of that that sort of input um, to learn. And uh, so it's possible that could lead to some improvements in machine uh, intelligence, again, in quotes. So here's a fun anecdote. I think you guys both know that one of my uh, pet peeves, if we'll call it that, with consumer tech products is when you just get served up all of these random memories that you'd rather not see or weren't thinking about for years. Mm -hmm. This happened recently with Amazon. Amazon said, here's like a reminder of memories in your Amazon cloud. And I thought to myself, I don't think I've ever stored photos in Amazon's cloud. What is this? So clicked through, went, first of all, thank God it wasn't spam. Like could have just ended up, you know, going down some weird rabbit hole. Anyway, <laughs> clicked through and there were photos there from when I reviewed the Amazon Echo Look camera. And I think 2017. Do you guys remember this camera? This is the one that uh, judges your outfit yes. and tells you what clothes to buy? Yes. Amazon has like a stockpile of full body images of me wearing different clothes. And it was, yes, it was giving thumbs up and thumbs down and rating things based on weather and geographic data and all this weird stuff. And it's serving this to you as memories. As a memory. Oh, no. But also it made me think, oh, my gosh, Amazon still has all of this data in its cloud that I haven't deleted because I was re I was reviewing that for mm -hmm. uh, my previous publication. And um, it was a weird little product. Yeah. And uh, it's just a good reminder, I think, that <laughs> <laughs> a reminder that um, some memories are forever and Amazon may, in fact, train its AI on them. Mm -hmm. I, I once went to a conference a weird little machine learning conference in Canada where there was a whole track about machine learning for fashion that was sponsor all sponsored by Amazon. A lot of it was like trying to predict what the next fashion would be so they could start making stuff. Um, I think probably some researchers working on that weird camera as well. Yeah. So Amazon and others are just hoovering up our body data, our body language data. And to Will's point, 
probably sucking up YouTube videos and other things that show how people move because the next iteration of this might be some kind of generative product that like mimics our body language or responds to our body language. Yeah, I've actually been really curious about that because with all of these voice assistants, the things that the companies are doing with them are leading towards mimicking human personality traits and like mm -hmm. conversational tics that convey emotion and that convey some sort of like empathy with the person that they're speaking to. This is sort of troubling to me, and I'm curious to know what you think about this, Will, but it seems to me like a, a cold and unfeeling voice speaking to you is one thing, but mm. a, a warm and inviting and empathetic voice that sort of fits into the tone of the conversation is something else entirely for these engineers to build. Yeah, I, I, I think that's really troubling. I'm, I'm, I think arguably they shouldn't build these things to mimic people at all. They shouldn't be anthropomorphic because one, they're not. It's, I mean, it's inherently kind of misleading. It's also, you know, you can, you, you see with ChatGPT, you can design that to convince people. Like it's, it's actually been trained to try and convince people that its answers are good, even when it's lying. Um, and so you can have systems that will be very convincing, compelling. They can train them to do that, to mimic this stuff. And we're really hardwired to respond to it. I think that's a, that's a really troubling um direction because you can see how companies could could misuse that to try and persuade people or to manipulate them uh, and i yeah i just think there's, there's no reason why you can't design i mean i know there are some researchers who are trying to design interfaces that do um you know offer up real intelligence but aren't trying they try and really distinguish it from being a human intelligence which mm -hmm. yeah I, th I think it's kind of it's concerning and i i really think that um one of the one of the things you'll see is these language models being used as part of this kind of advertising, um, you know, industrial complex, <laughs> uh, which is just I mean, it just makes so much sense. You could just as you can do re reinforcement learning with human feedback to get good answers, you could do do it around whether it's persuade someone that they should click buy or add to cart on a product, and it's, there's no way that the people who are you know, inside comp a company like Amazon wouldn't be thinking about that. Like, how do you mimic a human, a very effective human salesperson? Hmm. Some of our listeners have probably read Stephen Levy's story for us about OpenAI. It's a great feature. It's also our cover story this month, so everyone should go read it. But Sam Altman says at some point in the story that he envisioned a future in which we would have these physical or humanoid robots that are able to move and do things. And then eventually there would be these, you know, many steps, but we'd get to some kind of general artificial intelligence and computers. But actually, the opposite is happening. We're starting now with this crazy level of artificial intelligence that's very human-like and maybe working our way up to something that it has, is, has more of a, is not amorphous, but actually has a physical form. Mm. Yes, it's a smart speaker that sits on your counter that is the physical form. Right. It's a tube. It's a puck. It's a $50 puck, but it's got Gen AI. I do feel like we should mention that um, Alexa and other voice assistants are really good for accessibility for people that um, maybe can't do traditional types of input that we all take for granted. And speech is the easiest way for them to communicate with the computer. Um, in that regard, there's a new feature in iOS 17 called personal voice where you can actually like make your iPhone talk like you. Have either of you tried this? No. <laughs> no. Wait, how do I how do I do this? Should we do this live? 
It's, uh, How do I do it? Oh, well, uh, unfortunately, we can't do it live, but uh, it's a feature in the accessibility settings. It's called personal voice. Okay. Uh, and you read a series of phrases. It's just like all the other personal AI voice clone systems, right? You read a bunch of phrases. Uh, it takes about 15 to 30 minutes to read all of them. And then you set it down and it processes your voice. And it can take as long as a couple of days because a lot mm. of people are doing it right now, so it Hold takes on, a lot I'm of processing I'm creating power. a personal voice with my iPhone right now. It says record a f the phrase. Oh, okay, so I have to record it. Yeah. I'm creating a personal voice with my iPhone. It's going to ask you to do that for like the next 30 minutes. Okay. <laughs> so we can, we can just l let the tape roll if you want, and you can just do it right here on the show. It says, you know what? I just tried that mic, and it said I had high background noise. Try to find a quieter location. <laughs> so I think you really, you really messed that up for me. <laughs> Current sound levels are high and may impact my personal voice quality. You are affecting my personal voice quality. All right, I'm going to do this later. <laughs> so I've heard of a few companies who um, track scams uh, and phishing, talking about voice cloning being used to mimic like a, an executive at a, at a company or something who then calls up and tells somebody to transfer money. But I'm not sure, I'm not sure why you would want to your Siri to have your own voice. That sounds very weird to me. I don't like hearing my own voice. I don't want it telling me things. Yeah, mm. it's it's a tool for narcissists. <laughs> no, I can actually see it being useful for the opposite. Uh, what if you are not the narcissist in your dynamic? What if you just programmed personal voice to say, hey, how are you doing? And you have a friend or that family member who just, you've just given them a prompt and they go. You can just <laughs> set your personal voice to ask them. And then they go off and you, you know, go, I don't know, chop tomatoes or whatever. Oh, potatoes. Maybe, that, maybe that's down the line. So eventually you'll just say, okay, Siri, when somebody calls, just have a conversation. When when grandma calls, just have a conversation for half an hour and uh, fill her in on what I've been up to. And then then you don't have to worry about it yourself. And you'll do Aww. it all. Why does grandma <laughs> always get a bad rap? I wish my grandma would call. Yeah. She's dead. <laughs> If she called, that would be <laughs> remarkable. It's okay. Gen AI is going to solve all this. All right. Will, thank you so much for this recap of Amazon's news and your insights into Amazon's generative AI future. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back with our recommendations. Hey, everybody. It's Neil. I've got some huge news. Decoder is moving to Mondays and Thursdays. We're adding a second episode of the show. On Mondays, we'll have our classic interviews with CEOs and other troublemakers. I think we're going to have to start having conversations about how do we pay those jobs that can't be done by AI. And on Thursdays, we'll be explaining big topics in the news with Verge reporters, experts, and other friends of the show. There's a new generation of people on the internet. Google search has always sucked for them. So, you know, there's no reason for them to be loyal. They can just go to TikTok. This is going to be really fun. I'm very excited about all this. So go subscribe wherever you get your podcasts now. Will, what's your very human recommendation this week? Oh, um, it's actually the opposite of the very human recommendation and continuing the theme of sort of embracing the chaos of, of generative AI. I thought I'd recommend this program called AutoGPT, which I've been playing with, which is a, you basically install it on your computer and it will do tasks. It uses ChatGPT to figure out how to do things. So it's kind of like a small, like maniac intern that will do things for you. 
So I will tell it like, please go and find the contact information of a CEO and it will run off to the internet, do a bunch of searches and surprisingly come, some, come back, it'll, you know, say, well, I figured out it's this name. Now I'm going to go and look for his email address. So I, fa- I found this one. I'm going to go verify it and then come back and do all these different things. Um, it will also occasionally just go into kind of insane, like infinite loops where it's saying, I can't, I don't know how to do it. So I'm just going to keep searching and I don't know how to do that. So I'll search that as well. Um, or it'll start doing mad things on your computer. I think it's the future of, of computing, but at the moment it's very, uh, it's, it's quite, it's slightly mad, um, but I, I, I enjoy it. So with the disclaimer that we're not responsible for damaging anybody's computer, I, I recommend playing with auto GPT or similar. <laughs> Who makes this? This is an open source project just built on top of chat GPT or GPT-4. Uh, but th- this is something that OpenAI and Google and others are, are looking to do. They're looking, so this week, Google announced that they were, it was connecting Bard, its, its version of its chat GPT rival to some apps. So you can say, I find my, you know, find all the recent emails about this and write me a document about it or add stuff to my, I know you can add things to your calendar, but you start starting to do stuff with apps. So I think that's really the future of where this is heading. You're going to start, it's going to be like completely new computer interface, but I, I'm just embracing the sort of the raw kind of like half, half built Linux version that runs a mock. It's quite fun. Excellent. And also can exist outside of G Suite, which just makes it so much more fun. <laughs> yes. yes. Mike, what's your recommendation? Uh, I would like to recommend a book. It is a book that I just finished reading yesterday. It's called No Meat Required, and it's by the food writer Alicia Kennedy. Um, I've spoken about Alicia Kennedy on the show before. I believe I recommended her Substack. So I was looking forward to the book. Uh, it is quite good. It's a book about where the food system in the world that we live in has gone wrong. So basically a lot of the ecological problems and moral quandaries, uh, that we face as a society can be linked back to our food system and particularly, uh, industrial factory farming of animals, industrial agriculture, uh, and industrial animal agriculture. So uh, these big systems, which are driven by capitalism and driven by greed, are destroying the planet, and they're making us unhealthy uh, individuals. They're also putting us into moral tight spots. So the book traces the history of these systems and traces the history of other types of eating, like uh, plant-based eating, indigenous gastronomy, uh, small community farms, and looks at how they can coexist. Um, But it does call for the end of industrialized agriculture and industrialized factory farming, uh, which uh, heartened me. Uh, It made me feel good to read that. Anyway, it's a great book. It's very wide ranging. It's not the kind of book that you're going to be able to give to a meat eater and the meat eater will say, oh no, I now see the error of my ways and I will stop eating meat forever. In fact, the thing that I like about it the most is that it really calls for, if you're going to be an omnivore, you should be more conscientious about your food intake and what you eat and how much meat you eat. Uh, So really that's what it's trying to do. It's trying to show us that like, the future forward for the for the environment and for the economy and for like the good of all people on the planet is that we all just eat less meat and that we stop supporting those systems which are making us eat more meat. So uh, I really liked it. Um, 
I'm sure there are a lot of people listening who are thinking that I'm a dirty hippie, and you're absolutely right. I am a dirty hippie, and I firmly believe in all of these things that I'm saying. So uh, it does come with that caveat. But uh, if you are a vegetarian or if you're just a, a conscientious omnivore, I think you'll love the book. And tell us the name again. It's called No Meat Required. No Meat Required. By Alicia Kennedy. Great. Yeah. It turned me off of um, tech burgers, like beyond an impossible. Oh, yeah. And yeah. why is that? Well, because uh, those companies have a lot of like VC funding and they're interested in making a bunch of money. So they're 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 aiming to solve a problem that was caused by capitalism and their solution is more capitalism. And that's a bad thing. So you should just eat more regular veggie burgers made of rice and grains <laughs> and beets and things like that. And beans. Yes. Cool. One one solution. I have a cat that catches a lot of large animals. <laughs> including rabbits and it has occurred to me that that might be a way to to uh sustain sustain oneself off the land <laughs> i also I, your cat I, is ferocious he's terrifying <laughs> well i i'm often discussed with my seven-year-old how large she would need to be before she tried to eat me <laughs> and i think maybe just two and a half times the size <laughs> that's a great oh, thought experiment Leona. yeah Lauren, what's your recommendation? My recommendation this week is a little bit of a shameless plug. It's my other podcast for Wired, Have a Nice Future. This week, we talked to the journalist Paul Tuff, who has written several books about education. And the conversation that he had this week with my co-host Gideon Litchfield was specifically about higher education, college in the U.S., why it has gotten so expensive, and why young people have sort of a negative sentiment right now about college, or at least a, a lower positive sentiment than they would have had a decade ago. It's a really interesting conversation about where the U.S. has gone wrong with college and what we can do to fix it. I enjoyed listening, even though it's my own podcast, I enjoyed listening to Gideon's conversation with Paul, and I think other people might find it interesting as well. So that is my recommendation. Nice. All right. That's our show. Will, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. And Alexa, thanks for joining us. <laughs> Smart as always. And thank you all for listening. If you have feedback, you can find all of us on Twitter. We're still there. I guess I should start calling it X. Just check the show notes. Our producer is the excellent Boone Ashworth. Goodbye for now, and we'll be back next week. Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you. And how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. 
connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com.